Real Faith for Real Life. Today, we're going to talk about what's in the news. And what's in the news? The pandemic is changing everything, even the emojis we're using. Ooh, the emoji world. But get this, Ed Sheeran, he doesn't have a phone. I love it. I'd hate my phone. We're going to talk about that. Plus, we're going to continue our series looking at the difficult sayings of Jesus. All that and more coming up on Real Faith for Real Life, a podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. doing it. We're rolling. So Eric is back with us. Pastor Eric. Yeah, yeah. The, the studio slash my office looks a little different today. If you're watching by video, you can see. Yeah. If you're just hearing by audio, here's a clue. <laughs> this place is literally filled with balloons. And I walked in Monday morning and I said, you know what? The youth, they have to be behind this. And you know they did. They were. <laughs> Let me point my phone at the rest of the office. We'll edit this into the Look at this. What, what what did y'all do this week? Hey, you know, we had a, a youth group event where we had to build a giant tower with balloons. And the high schoolers, they just said, this is the perfect plan. We're going to fill Pastor Bill's office yeah. with the balloons. So, hey, they brought them up. I may have brought up a couple myself. <laughs> and, you know, filled this place, creating like a moat of balloons. I, you can barely get into the office. I love it. It's given me some extra exercise. Every time I get in or out, I'm high-stepping and... It's it's like an obstacle course. Thank you. You bet. Thank I hope you, you Pastor Eric. Hope you don't like roll an ankle or something. You know? I hope not. <laughs> Good to have you on the show again this week. Uh, filling in for Brian. Uh, as always, we start looking at the news. You know, I've always said real faith intersects with real life, so we want to see what's going on in the world. So I came across this story, our first story for today to talk about, and it's just about how the pandemic is changing every aspect of life including even the emojis that we use. So according to new data from Twitter, the tears of joy emoji used to be the top one, but it got bumped down to number two this year with just regular crying taking its place. (laughs) So tears of joy down 23%, just regular old tears taking its place. That's a bummer. So I have to ask you, uh, youth guy. Yeah. Do you use emojis? I do. Yeah. I'm. I'm actually kind of a regular emoji user. So a regular one. Yeah. Like I mean, every single text almost okay. has an emoji. I thought you meant it. just a regular. Oh smiley yeah. Face I only give smiley faces. If it's anything other than that, you know something's wrong. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, like that's tears. Good to know. Yeah. Tears of joy. I mean, I, that used to be my go-to, but <laughs> but <if>, you know. <laughs> That's what I used to it's do. It's so funny because the next line I'm looking at in this story yeah. is that Gen Z has deemed that particular emoji uncool. Oh, man, <laughs> I'm so not cool. <laughs> Always one step behind. Yep. That's what it's like to be in your 30s and 40s, right? I guess so. <laughs> so, yeah, I use emojis too. I especially enjoy using them with social media posts because it adds back that um, nuance that we lose in text communication, right? So if you say something sarcastic or, you know, meant to be a joke, yeah. putting that little emoji at the end of the comment, like it, it just saves you creating a thread of people who think you're speaking seriously. Right. Uh, I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. They have a, uh, like they have a necessary place in our society now. And so it's, you know, it's no, uh, no surprise that we're kind of ranking what the top one is. There's probably a bottom one as well, too, <laughs> I would assume. But, I, but they're almost great, necessary. I'll research that for next week. Yeah, please do. I, I, I know, know what would be at the bottom of my list, like the flag section. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, 
yeah. Anyway, <laughs> emojis. You know, it's it's interesting just bringing faith into this discussion. Like, it's important for our communication with each other to be embodied. Mm-hmm. And as our world grows more digital and more disconnected, just any way we can find to bring in that humanity back into it, mm-hmm. you know. I always, as a manager especially, like, hey, if you're going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, phone call, or even better, in person. Yep. Never email, never text, that kind of stuff. It loses all that. Um, but now, given this story, I'll just tell my people, like, hey, just send an emoji with it. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> See, I have to put the emoji at the end of that so you know I'm joking. Yeah. Anyway, all right, second story, man. Ed Sheeran doesn't have a phone. And you love this story. I love it. I just, he must be my spirit animal. I want to get <laughs> rid of my phone, so just tell me more. Okay, so this story uh, says that in a recent interview, he revealed he stopped using his phone seven years ago oh, yeah. when he realized he was developing some bad habits. Uh, so he said, quote, I don't carry a phone. No, I haven't had a phone since 2015. I just spent my whole time in a very low place. So I got rid of it, and it was like a veil just lifted. So he's talking about the time around his Multiply tour with the stress of constantly just answering texts and feeling the need to reply right away, being always on call, you know. Uh, He said, quote, every few days I'll sit down now, this is his new approach, and just open up my laptop and answer the the most important emails. Uh, And uh, then he'll close his laptop and go back to living life. Mm. So I love it. I think a lot of us are coming around to that. I've talked on the podcast before about, you know, I turned off notifications for almost all of my apps. Mm -hmm. So I check my email three or four times a day, but I don't let it just constantly derail me. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, And you also switch to a dumb watch, right? A dumb watch. And I'm enjoying, this is actually a... a, a, A Dutch watch. A Dutch thumb watch? Yeah. I was going to, yeah. Careful. Got to watch how you say it. A dumb Dutch watch. But yeah. West Michigan. (laughs) It's really interesting. Yeah. I'm having a good time um, just being a little bit more intentional about how many things I allow to interrupt me. Um, And it's another great, like, tie into faith. You know, God wants us, I think, to do big things for Him, to do deep thinking, um, not surface level thinking. Mm -hmm. And man, everything in our our world today tends to just call us up to that surface level uh, entertainment and um, frivolous stuff. Mm -hmm. So we really have to dig down and make an effort to dig down as Christians. Yep. So would you ever do the Ed Sheeran? I would, but I don't think my wife would let me. Right. (laughs) So I might have to settle for getting a dumb watch, you know, and just go with that. I just, I don't like the incessant tapping and buzzing. I just need to kind of set that aside. Yeah. Yeah. It's really uh, kind of blocking out my ability to have a relationship with other people. Right. And that's what I desire more than anything. Oh, that's that's a really good faith tie-in as well. I got the idea from Kerry Newhoff, great uh, thinker. I uh, used to be a pastor, now he's a podcaster and whatever. Um, but he said he turned off all his notifications, and that's that's what I did. And man, mm. it's I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, Don't let your phone be your boss. Yeah, I love All it. right, with all that being said, uh, we're going to discuss even more important stuff now. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to Bible study time. We've been looking at the difficult sayings of Jesus, and we're going to tackle another one today. Um, that we should pluck our eye out and cut off our hand. We're Mm. going to tackle that on today's show. Mm. 
All right, we're in the middle of a three-part series on the difficult sayings uh, of Jesus, and it's called, Did Jesus Say That? I mean, we're just asking that question. Did Jesus actually say that? Now, before we dive into this week's quote, can you remind us of why this is really important? Yeah, I just think um, as Christians, we, we open our Bibles, and it's tempting to just skip past things that we don't understand. or It just strikes our ears so foreign that it's like, oh, I don't know, let's get to the easy part. But I think some of the real gems of uh, the faith lie in those difficult things Jesus said. And so to immerse ourselves in his world, his way of teaching, his way of communicating, um, we're going to see some really profound things. Yeah, I love that. So this week, we're considering a passage from Matthew 5, where Jesus asks us to gouge out our eye and to cut off our hand if either of them causes us to stumble. And so Matthew 5, 27 says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So let's just get right into it with a big question here. Mm -hmm. Did Jesus really mean for us to take this literally, like gouge out an eye, cut off a hand? Did he Did he mean this? Well, I think he's trying to make a point, and so he's using a, a, a way of speaking we would call today hyperbole, right? It's designed to do just what you said it did, to shock you, to jar you, to make you sit up and take notice, right? So I don't think it's literal, first of all, because... Think about it. No uh, mutilation or amputation is actually going to solve your sin problem, right? You right. gouge out both eyes. You can still lust, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so anyway, I think the main thing he's trying to communicate is we have to realize just how serious sin is. It leads to eternal consequences, and those consequences should seem so terrible to us that uh, by comparison, even losing a limb would be preferable. Right. So then what is the application here for us today? I feel like we can't just <laughs> let this ride that way. Tell us what yeah. we need to do here. Yeah, this podcast, I hope, is all practical, and uh, but it's also theological, right? And so today, on, on today's show, I want to tie the theological with the practical, and I want to say there's at least three things we can take from this, and the three things are tied to the three purposes of the law. So what Jesus is talking about is the law, and in this particular example, um, the law to not commit adultery. So when we encounter a passage like that, throughout the Bible, a law, what are we to do with that? Mm. There's a lot of different ideas, but theologians across the centuries have said there's three um, uses for the law. Right. So the first use of the law is that it serves as a mirror. What does that mean? So you use a mirror to see what you look like, right? To see what you actually look like. I should have looked in the mirror today because maybe my collar is off, maybe my hair is wild. I don't know. <laughs> I just got on the podcast and hope for the best. <laughs> but a mirror shows you who you are. And in this case, the law serves like a mirror to show that we fall short of God's expectations for us if we're honest with ourselves. So, you know, the law, its first purpose, theologians say, its first purpose is to give us the knowledge that we're sinners, and so, with regard to today's passage, Jesus is helping us see the fullness of what that means, right? So, 
if he had not made this clarification, uh, we might be tempted to read the Ten Commandments and it says, do not commit adultery. And I'm like, check, 100% perfect, gotcha, Jesus. I am fully righteous in this category, no worries, doing pretty good. Uh, And that's what people back then would have done too. I mean, obviously, we talk a lot about the Pharisees. They believed they were doing really well at keeping the law. Right. So for them, there were two groups of people. There were adulterers and there were non-adulterers. And if you were caught in adultery back then, you were dead, mm-hmm. right? And if you were not, you were, an, you were in the other group. You were a non-adulterer, and as a result, you were smug and conceited, and you looked down on the other people, and you're like, listen up, sinners, Jesus is talking about you, you know? Look, not me, I haven't done that, you know? But the point in today's passage is Jesus is showing us that God's standard for sexual purity is way deeper than that. You don't get a pass just because you didn't commit physical adultery. You know, did mm-hmm. you uh, flirt with someone? Have you lusted after someone? If so, then you're guilty. Just like the parallel with murder, right? So we're in the middle of chapter five of Matthew, which has six of these. Uh, they call them the six antithesis, antitheses. Um, so the first one is murder. I mean, it's easy to see with murder. If you, had, if you were to plan to kill me, but you were just too inept to pull off your plan, <laughs> and you were taken to court, do you think they'd be like, oh, let him go? You know, <laughs> Not a chance. Right. You were yeah. still guilty, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you planned, you premeditated. You'd, and, and so God, it's kind of the same reasoning here in chapter 5. God knows your heart, and just because you didn't actually commit adultery— um, if you're thinking about it, if you're planning it, if you're dreaming about it, you know, that also is sinful. It's the root of adultery, just like hatred is the root of murder. So I don't know. It's interesting. Um, with all this in mind, you know, the tables are turned and suddenly there's no us, there's no them, there's just all humans. Mm-hmm. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. And when we all look into the mirror of God's law, we all see the same result. We don't live up to his perfect standard. Um, that's the first purpose of the law, right? So Romans 3.20, Paul says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. So that's not the purpose of the law, not to make us right, not to declare us righteous. Rather, Paul says, through the law, we become conscious of sin So Paul right here is saying explicitly what we've been saying theologically. The law exists, among other things, to make us conscious of our sin. And so the first application for people listening today is, you know, when you come across a passage like this, I hope it makes you conscious of your sin. And I hope it drives you to the need uh, for a Savior, you know. Um, And that's what we preach here at this church every week. I hope your church, wherever you go, I hope that's what they preach too. That's what we need. You know, that's what this is all about. We need the gospel, um, not self-improvement. So um, I think that's that's the first and maybe the most important um, application we can draw from this today. Right. So that's the first function. Let's Mm -hmm. check out the second function of the law. It's called the civil use. So what is that? expand it like i'm i'm knowing what the word civil is and so <laughs> maybe maybe you can make a connection here yeah so theologians have said god also gave the law to uh, restrain evil in society right so even though the law can't change a human heart it can keep sinful people in check so to use a very um a salient a top of mind example here if there were no speed limit you know how fast i'd be going 
really like, fast. <laughs> probably, I would assume. <laughs> probably, right? When we need regulations. We need rules in this world. We just do, you know, to keep the world working and to keep us safe and to promote order. So Paul, again, we'll use him uh, here. He talks about this in Romans chapter 13. He says, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So the government exists um, because God has made it. You know, God uh, has made it for our good. And so he says, if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, again, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So the law is also given just to keep society chugging along and uh, doing well. Society flourishes when people are treated fairly and equally when people are treated well. And uh, you can see that even in this even in this particular commandment about adultery, you may be like, who cares? Like, if if you were to cheat on your wife, if I were to cheat on my wife, what does society care about that? Mm. No, but as a counseling student, I know. Um, you know, back when I studied counseling and worked with people, the root of so many problems is broken families. And maybe you see that as a youth person as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's generational, man. Like you have one broken family that uh, has an impact on one person who goes on to have another in, in, uh, troubled relationship. And it just goes on and on. Society is built on healthy families. And uh, I'm convinced, you know, the civil use uh, would call for us to take this commandment seriously um, and really to to think about, hey, I need to take this seriously for my good, for my wife's good, for your good, for everybody's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lastly is the the third use. Uh, theologians just call it that, third use, which is you know kind of funny. <laughs> and I think Calvin also, he called it that too, right? Yeah, I think um, it's, it is funny that they never gave it a better name, right. <laughs> you know? So at some point, they just said, it's the third one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the technical term for this, the third use of the law. And it, basically, this is a really, maybe the one you think about most often, right? So the law, it tells us as Christians uh, how to live in a way that expresses our gratitude and our love to God. So... Make no doubt about it. We're not saved by the law. We're saved by grace, but we are saved unto good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And uh, 1 Peter 1.15, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Um. Yeah, I mean, God calls us to holiness. And will we ever be able to fulfill the law's commands and demands exactly? No. Will it ever save us? No. But that doesn't make uh, that doesn't make the demand any less. So when Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. I mean, we have to take that seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, once we've been saved, we should have a heart that just wants to please God. Um So again, to ground this in our current Bible study today, uh, as you read a passage like this, um, you get to see the why behind the rule. And so why did God say, you know, don't murder? Why did God say, don't commit adultery? Why did God say all of these different rules? Um, By reading Jesus' teaching, we get to go beneath the letter of the law and, and into the heart of it, right? So that's what God wants for us is to do um, the deepest 
deepest heart work possible to get at the real, real God's will that lies behind these rules. Mm. So, okay, to sum it up then, three applications today. As you read this passage, see it as a mirror that shows you who you are and specifically your need for a savior. Um, No matter if you've committed adultery or not, you've you've lusted. We all have, right? Mm. Um, You flirted, I don't know. Uh, Whether or not you've physically killed someone or physically cheated on your wife, you are a sinner in need of a savior. And that's application one. Two is it's a, a set of rules for the functioning of society. And then three is that it lets us know how we can serve God, how we can show our gratitude to God um, and live in a way that, you know, pleases him, mm, which we yeah. should care about. Yeah. Sometimes I, I guess I uh, look at some of these big theological concepts and I just kind of need to bring it down to earth. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, like, how you do that in your own life. Like, what does it all look like in the real world for you, Pastor Bill? Yeah, so I think if you look at this section of Scripture, chapter 5, it's if you look at it, um, you, you'll begin to see it's really all about love. Mm-hmm. So murdering someone is obviously unloving, right? That's the right. understatement of the year, right? <laughs> uh, so is cheating on your wife. That's not loving, obviously. Even lusting after someone else, not loving. Going on down the list here in chapter 5, not keeping your word. That's not a loving thing to do. Taking revenge, you know, hitting someone back even harder when they hit you. That's not loving either. And so really, I'm seeing in this list, you know, what the heart of God's will for us is not that we just don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that and just keep your external actions in check. Um, it's part of it, right? But but the deep will of God here is that we love one another and love requires a lot. Like love requires me to go beyond just not murdering people and not committing adultery. Um, so for me, love is the, the North Star that guides you know my thoughts on this. When I'm faced with a decision, my new grid is, is this loving or not? You know, would doing this or not doing this be loving to the other person? Yeah, I like that. So how about you, Pastor Eric, when we talk about your Christian walk, um, how do you think about the reason why you avoid sin and specifically like how you avoid sin in a way that keeps it from being legalistic? That's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's difficult to not become legalistic, you know. Um, I think my journey through sin is probably not that much different than many other people. Uh, I look around and and I recognize, man, I'm I'm pretty messed up dude, <laughs> you know. Uh, I struggle with sin each day, and um, that kind of sits not in the back of my mind, but actually in the front of my mind, and mm-hmm. that might make me a little bit different, but um, I, it could be very easy for me to create a checklist of things that I need to do to be better, and um, that would not separate me in any way from the world around me. But what makes my journey and my... Um, approach towards sin a little different is that I also kind of err on the side of love and God too. And so I start to look towards uh, that relationship that I have with God and allow the Holy Spirit to enter into uh, a particular sin pattern or a place where I need to be uh, living uh, more towards Christ's commands as opposed to looking towards myself. Um, And I'll be honest, uh, I think I'm like most people in, in the world a lot of us think we're pretty cool. Like we think ourselves are pretty cool. I think cool. you're cool. Well, I mean, 
okay, yeah, all right. But <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, sometimes people look at themselves and they say, I can do this. Yeah. I'm strong enough. Yeah. I'm smart enough. I'll figure a way out of it. Um, but what that does is it actually it actually kind of makes us self-dependent instead of spirit-dependent. Mm-hmm. And the thing that uh, the Lord calls us to when we follow Christ um, is to be different and to allow the Spirit to enter in and change us and, and to let that love, that loving relationship, be the center of what helps us move beyond sin in our lives mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to do it all ourselves. Because in the end, like we were talking about with sin, no matter how hard I try— on Judgment Day, I can't save myself. Right. Only Christ can through His work on the cross. Yeah, and even in our own power, we can't overcome sin just by the Spirit dwelling in us with God's love working in and through us. So, you know, it's interesting to talk about sin. I find, I don't know about you, but um, I find it's difficult to talk about sin today. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the term is becoming a foreign concept to our culture. And you work with youth, so you're on the leading edge of this. You know, uh, you're with Gen Z, right? Is that what yep. we call them? Right? Yep. yep. So, what do you think? Do you see like sin dropping out of people's vocabulary? Does it feel like hell is just outdated and fictional to people nowadays? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that conversation is. It, it feels very um, rare in kind of like a natural setting or a natural relationship. We do talk about it in student ministry because when we teach from scripture, it's impossible to avoid talking about sin. But as I look around me, what I would say is I see that there's kind of like this feel-good generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they affirm like anything and everything from every angle. Um, and it's not that affirmation is bad, but if affirmation actually pulls you away from reality, then it can become an issue. And so then sin, as we look at sin, sin is not naturally affirming. And so a kid mm. is not going to naturally be like, man, I just really want to talk about my sin today. Right. You know, it's not, it's not a conversation that's going to happen. I get to go on a retreat this weekend, mm-hmm. and I, I'll bet you zero students will say that phrase to me. I hope we talk about sin this week. Yeah, this is going to be... I cannot wait. This is the weekend, man. <laughs> um, it, you know, it might feel good in the moment to participate in sin, but sin, you know, 100% of the time has long-term negative effects. And Mm -hmm. students avoid talking about negative things really at all costs. It it feels very vulnerable to them that they're opening up too much. Um, And so Gen Z, like, it's hard to engage them in this need for Christ Mm -hmm. if they don't even recognize that they have sin. Right. So it's important that we not point out their sin like, wow, you stink, you did that. (laughs) But hey, listen, we all struggle Mm -hmm. with sin. This is a um, society big, world big issue, and we all need Christ. That, that's why this this week's lesson is important to me. You know, it's important to the gospel, and uh, I don't think we should be afraid to talk about it. If we're afraid to talk about it, it just it alters everything. It's like a it's like dominoes falling, right? Yeah. So church just ends up denigrating into try harder, clean up your external act, follow this code of external behaviors, do this, this, and this, and then you can feel good about yourself. And um, when that happens, that reminds me more of what the Pharisees did than what Jesus taught. Right, right. I think this sounds like a great place to end. You know, we're going to have the opportunity to chat a little bit more uh, next week. Another difficult saying of Jesus. Uh, at one point, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life. And that right there 
Sounds like the grand finale to me. That's right. That'll end our three-part series. Hope you've been enjoying it. Uh, So tune in next week. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll find this episode automatically. We'll see you then. 